Good morning, Hillsiders. Good morning. If you're new to Hillside, we welcome you. And we are so glad you are joining us this morning. My husband, John, and I are the interim worship leaders. And you would normally find him leading up here, um, not me. Um, but he is with our 16-year-old son on the men's retreat this weekend. And I'm very thankful because I have my 18-year-old son standing right next to me. And he's, sorry, 19. <laughs> so please stand with us um, as I pray over our men at the retreat on their final day there. We pray, Lord, for our hillside men on the men's retreat. We ask that they will shine with the light of your glory. We pray that there will be a spiritual awakening and a spiritual longing and hunger that can only be filled by you. We ask that they be lovers of your word and lovers of your attributes, lovers of your truth and lovers of your ways, O Lord. We pray that our men will learn to be vulnerable with one another and that they will build lasting, godly friendships where they can hold one another up in difficulty, difficult times, where they can point out truth when truth seems blurred, where they can sing together, laugh together, grieve together, and listen for your voice together. We ask that you breathe the life of truth into those around them, their wives, their sons, daughters, family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors, that through these men, we ask become your mighty men of faith. We pray these things because you, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, you are our hope in times of trouble. You are our light in our darkest moments. You are truth when the lines of truth seem blurred, and you are way is the way of salvation. You are our beautiful Father, Savior, friend. Amen. Let's join in worship this morning as we are reminded of God's tremendous grace in our lives.
Grace Like Rain. seat. My name is Stephen Weissong. I am the director of student ministries here at Hillside, and it is so good to be together, right? 
Oh, that's so good. I'm going to, okay, have you ever, this is an age-old question that I've been wondering about. What's the difference between Jesus and pizza? Jesus can't be topped. Oh. oh, and that, don't spit your water out. Yeah, be, be, you got to be careful when I come up with my jokes. Okay, that's why we're here. We're here worshiping Jesus because he can't be topped. He is Lord, Savior, King, and friend. And we are so glad that you're here with us. Hey, we have a couple church life things to go through, uh, some exciting things, some exciting things that have happened so I don't know if you know this, but we have a welcome team here at Hillside. Anybody grateful for our welcome team? Yes. They're awesome. They stand at doors. They check us in. Last week after church, they did a brunch. I actually didn't know Leo was part of the welcome team. This is new to me. Okay. We, Leo is very welcoming. But they did, they did this. They did this. I was, uh, okay, I, I was at a loss of words there for a second. <laughs> this team got together, they talked about all the ways that they can continue welcoming. They are led by our fearless leaders, Allison Seitz and Katie Weibert. They lead the uh, welcome team. And, yes, and they let me know that they are accepting applications for those of you who would like to be on the welcome team. So keep that in mind. Okay, coming up in the future, we have this thing. It's called the Lunch bunch. It is senior fellowship ministry, and what they're going to do is the third Wednesday of the month at 11.30 a.m. right here at Hillside down the hall in the community center, they're gathering for lunch. I heard that sometimes it will be catered, sometimes it will be potluck, you're just going to have to wait for the official announcement. But they are starting uh, this month, March 15th. They have the Lunch Bunch 1130 over there and the Community Center. Coming up also, if you are interested, we have our financial wellness planning meeting. And right here you can see it's, it's a lunch on Sunday, March 26th, right at noon. I like to say when people are like, what time should we meet? I say, straight up noon. So that's when this is, straight up noon. So if you want to come and figure out and hear about financial wellness and tax-wise giving strengths, you can come to that. And it's, it looks like it's put on by our Covenant Trust, so that's pretty cool. Also coming up, who baseball fans in here? Anybody baseball fans? Okay, we, not many baseball fans, interesting. Okay, we have a take me out to the ball game event. This is sponsored. Okay, I was told by the people at large to make sure this is sponsored by the Senior Fellowship Ministry, but everyone's welcome. <laughs> you could hear a pin drop. You're welcoming me to that? Yes, we are. It is the Take Me Out to the Ball Game event, and it's sponsored by Senior Fellowship March 31st. So that's fun. I didn't know that, but March 31st is opening day of the baseball season. That's great. March, oh, it was third. Oh, 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 yeah, conflicting numbers in here. March 30th is the Take Me Out to the Ball Game first day. Uh, also, okay, mark your calendar. Are you ready? Everybody get your calendars out. 
I'm just kidding. You don't have to. But we have our all-church retreat May 19th through the 21st at Mission Springs. Our theme this year is Lights, Camera, Action, which is fun because a couple weeks ago, we got Keon Omley to be with some of our students, and we did improv games together. That was pretty fun. It was really a good time. So Lights, Camera, Action, I can't wait to see what that's all about. All Church Retreat. Hope you put that on your calendar to be there with us all. The last thing is speaking about the Amelies. We want to welcome Kana Amelie into the world. She was born on 225, 7 pounds, 2 ounces, and 18.5 inches tall. Just in case you want to know. But we want to welcome this amazing new person into the world. Amelie's, congratulations. I know Keon's in here somewhere. Where are you? Right there. Congratulations. That's so awesome. All right, now we're going to do our stand and greet. So stand and greet and just tell someone congratulations for being here today. Go for it.
to invite the youth to join our Hillside Youth Group at this time. And you all may be seated. Let's um, have the ushers come forward for our morning tithes and offerings. <clears throat> I have um, the joy of worshiping with my dear godly sisters in Christ. And um, before I share with them, we're going to pray over the offering. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we ask that you bless these tithes and offerings and do abundantly more with them than we could ever imagine. Lord, fill this place with your presence. Hear our praises as our hearts cry out to you. Amen. So I was um, asked to lead worship while the men were on the men's retreat. And I thought, what a beautiful time to invite the women in my life who walk the spiritual path with me. And um, through joys and terrible sorrows that we've experienced and that we experience in this world. And I have two more friends that I wanted to be here, but they couldn't be here. One's in South Africa and one's in Indiana. Um, and uh, but but these ladies flew in, drove up. They're from all over, and I'm so thankful that they're here. And um, these are the ladies who build me up through the Word of God. And we delight in the Lord together. We share scripture with one another. We sharpen one another in our faith. And when, um, when I'm with them, I'm inspired not just to spend more time with them, but I'm inspired to have more time with our Savior. And I'm inspired to go deeper with him and to pour out more of him in those around me because of this community. So I'm thankful that they took the time out of their busy schedules to fly out to be with me and my family this morning and with you all. And let's continue worshiping this morning. Let's stand as we sing, Build My Life.
Let's sing Lead Me to the Cross. has a, a video to show you guys to start off this morning. Please. Go, Mark! Go, Mark! Woo! Go, Dad, go! Woo! Go, Mark! 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 Go! Wo
That was my brother Mark. <laughs> In 2017, I had the thrill of watching my brother Mark run the Boston Marathon. We stationed family members and friends all along the race route to cheer Mark on. We had posters, we had cowbells, we had horns. Then we gathered on Boylston Street at the end of the race in downtown Boston to wait for my brother to cross the finish line. I'm proud to say that Mark finished the Boston Marathon in three hours. 37 minutes and 37 seconds at the age of 54. <laughs> Now you're seeing pictures from an after party where we got to share in my brother's joy after this momentous achievement. These are photos that don't really, though, give you the details of the backstory behind Mark's victory. For my brother, it had been a 13-year pursuit to run the Boston Marathon, considered one of the world's most prestigious marathons. After Mark finally qualified for Boston, he embarked on a 20-week training program. Yep, that's five months. This program required him to run throughout the New England winter. For many weeks, Mark got up early. To do his training miles before work, to build up his endurance, he often ran while it was still dark, on frigid, icy Rhode Island mornings, and despite knee pain, during his peak training weeks, Mark would log in 65 miles per week. Race day in April was a sunny, unusually warm New England day with temperatures in the 70s. So Mark, along with more than 30,000 other runners, had to fight to stay hydrated as they ran the 26.2 miles to the finish line. The day's heat only added to the grueling challenge of making it up and over four hills along the race route. The last hill of the race is just three miles from the finish line, Boston's infamous Heartbreak Hill. It rises 88 feet in half a mile. Knowing the details of my brother's story enhanced our joy and deepened the significance of Mark's victory party for all of us who gathered to support him. Celebrating his achievement was so meaningful because we all knew the years he had dedicated to achieving this goal. And we saw the fruit of the sacrifices Mark had made, and the physical suffering he had overcome to finish that race well. I'm not a runner, but through my brother Mark, I shared in the joy and the exciting victory of finishing the Boston Marathon, without doing any of the work <laughs> or making any of the sacrifices required to run this elite race. Psalm 22 has been called the Psalm of the Cross, but for us this morning, it's also a psalm that describes the greatest race of Jesus's life—the race to finish His work on the cross. This was a marathon that only Jesus could run. For all who place their faith in Him, there's an invitation to share the victory He accomplished on the cross.
1 Corinthians 50, 57 declares, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our scripture passage for today is from the second half of Psalm 22. In essence, when we look at the second half of Psalm 22, we get a glimpse of the grand victory party celebrating the most spectacular victory of all time over sin, death, and the powers of evil. But to help us better appreciate and enjoy this grand victory party at the end of Psalm 22, we need to look at the backstory that is told in the first half of Psalm 22, where King David prophetically points to the work of Jesus on the cross, the sacrifice of his life for our salvation. David begins this psalm, it's a psalm of lament, with this lonely cry of agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the New Testament, both Mark and Matthew record Jesus quoting verse 1 of Psalm 22 while he was dying on the cross. In verse 8 of Psalm 22, David describes being scorned and mocked by people who say, He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Now listen to how Matthew describes the mocking and taunting that Jesus received as he hung on the cross. And those who passed by him derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires for him. For he said, I am the son of God. And even the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Isn't it uncanny how the words of mocking in Psalm 22 are nearly identical to the words of the people who were mocking Jesus when he was nailed to the cross? The Apostle John records another fulfillment in Psalm 22 in his gospel. John 19, 23 through 24 says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots, for it, is, for it is to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. The fulfilled scripture that John is referring to is Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Well, we don't have time to dwell in the first half of Psalm 22 this morning, so I really hope you take the time to do that on your own this week. You will see how David presents in chilling detail the torment of a dying man whose life is being poured out like water with all of his bones out of joint, his heart melting in his chest like wax, and his tongue dry from severe thirst. 
Interestingly, scholars can find no events in David's life to fit this graphic description of excruciating suffering, especially when David writes about his hands and his feet being pierced 600 years before the invention of crucifixion and a thousand years before Christ. Psalm 22, it was written by David, but it was experienced by Jesus on the cross. Reciting memorized scripture was integral to Jesus's life. He battled the temptations of Satan in the wilderness with scripture. He refuted the false teaching of the religious leaders with scripture. And as Jesus was dying on the cross, he recited Psalm 22 to himself. Most likely Jesus knew Psalm 22 by heart. And I wonder if the tune of Psalm 22 might have been running through Jesus's mind since David had originally written it to be put to, to, be put to music by his choir master. My friend Sherry at Oasis on Tuesday mornings, she will often sing the words of scripture when we're reading it at the table. So it's a wonderful way to keep the scriptures running through our minds and our hearts to sing it. We know that Jesus used Psalm 22 to express his anguish on the cross as he cried out to his father. And if the rest of this Psalm ran through his mind and prayers, God's word surely would have assured his soul and buttressed his faith. The heartbreaking cries of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me would be transformed into a statement of faith in verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard him when he cried to him. How could such a transformation take place? The first half of Psalm 22 goes back and forth between this reality of pain that Jesus was suffering and the reality of who God is. Have you noticed that when you're in deep suffering, how you have to fight to remind yourselves that God is still with you and that he's still for you? Woven between Jesus's cries of anguish and the descriptions of horrors that he faced on the cross are two declarations of faith. They're reminders of God's character that begin with the words, yet you. Take a look at these on your outline or on the screen. Verses two through five say, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Then in verses nine through 10, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. How might following this pattern of praying through Psalm 22 help us to endure suffering, even unjust suffering for our faith as Jesus did? First, 
we see that although God's presence was obscured from Jesus in his intense pain, Jesus still cried out to his heavenly Father. He shows us how to take our pain to God by faith. When we struggle to feel his presence in our suffering, we take it to him by faith. Meditating on verses 2 through 5 would have reminded Jesus of the holiness of God in the midst of his suffering and of God's deliverance of his people in the past. Remembering that God has rescued us in the past can give us strength to endure the suffering we're in at the moment. And the truth that God's holiness remains constant, whether we are experiencing pain or peace, helps us to ground ourselves in him, no matter what our present circumstances are. Verses 9 through 10 would have reminded Jesus of God's faithfulness to Jesus his entire life, from birth to the moments when he was dying on the cross. Remembering that God has been trustworthy and faithful can help us get through the toughest of trials that we might face. Psalm 22 shows us how important it is for all of us to remember the yet use of God's character. When we have those deep inside of us, we can go back to those, yet you are holy God, yet you were with me always. Isn't it inspiring and comforting to think of our Savior praying Psalm 22 to help him run the greatest race of his life? How about you? Do you have scripture memorized and tucked away in your heart to help you face the pain and suffering of this life? Have you ever tried using psalms of lament, like Psalm 22, to express your anguish to God when your own words just seem to escape you? And will you follow Jesus's example of preaching God's word to your own soul? Whenever you need assurance of God's love for you and his good plan for your life, preach God's word to your soul. Over these six weeks of Lent, as we spend time in the Psalms, consider memorizing verses that can help you pray or will encourage your hearts during times of trouble. Our passage in the second half of Psalm 22 captures Jesus' amazing response to the loneliness, to the torture, to the humiliation, and the mockery he endured on the cross. You can follow along with me in your outlines or in your Bible as I read Psalm 22, verses 23 through 31. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship 
belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is God's word. The second half of Psalm 22 points to a glorious victory party filled with praise and worship of God's faithful people from across the globe, across all ages. Notice with me the groups of people that Jesus mentions. He first thinks of his sisters and brothers who fear the Lord. They are the congregation of people descended from Israel. Next, his view expands to this great congregation, which includes all sorts of people, the afflicted, those who are seeking God, peoples from the ends of the earth, entire families of nations, the rich, the prosperous, the dying, and those who aren't even born yet. It's this glorious panoramic view of God's congregation made up of families, nations, and even future generations. Psalm 22, it takes us from the heartbreak hill of the cross to a view past the finish line to the multitudes cheering for God. It moves us from the horrific story of Jesus's emotional, spiritual, and physical torment on the cross to this spectacular vision of all God's people throughout time, praising him, praising God because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. What do you think this picture of Psalm 22 of believers past, present, and future worshiping God might have given Jesus as he was dying on the cross. What do you think that view of rejoicing and praising gave him in the last hours of his life? Hebrews 12:2 says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Our passage in Psalm 22 points to the source of Jesus's joy, the anticipation of praising God with his beloved people. Jesus was motivated by his desire to glorify his Father by rescuing his people. This was Jesus's prayer to his Father in John 17, 1 and 2. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. The last nine verses of Psalm 22 have praise or worship or God mentioning ten times. 
is mentioned 10 times in nine verses. As the Son of God was dying on the cross, he was looking forward to celebrating God's plan of salvation for his people, for the ones he died for, for us, for you and me. How does it make you feel as God's beloved people to know that you were on God's mind, you were on Jesus's heart while he was dying on the cross? More importantly, how will we reflect this sacrificial love of our Savior? This kind of sacrificial love is reflected in the story of Team Hoyt. Rick Hoyt and his dad, Dick Hoyt, were highly admired and loved participants of the Boston Marathon for 32 years. Rick Hoyt was born a quadriplegic with cerebral palsy, unable to control his limbs or speak. And despite the doctor's advice to Rick's parents to institutionalize Rick, Dick and Judy Hoyt committed to raise Rick at home. Rick and Dick's running career began when Rick told his dad that he wanted to compete in a five-mile running road race to help raise money for a high school lacrosse player who had been paralyzed in an accident. After that race, Rick typed on his computer to his dad, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I'm not handicapped. The father and son duo would go on to compete in more than one thousand races, which included several Ironman triathlons. In a New York Times interview, Rick said, when my dad and I are out there on a run, a special bond forms between us. It feels like there's nothing my dad and I cannot do. Dick Hoyt ran race after race with his son, and for his son. His love and sacrifice made it possible for his handicapped son, Rick, to experience victory. Psalm 22 gives us a picture of how Jesus's love and his sacrifice makes it possible for anyone who believes in him to experience the ultimate victory over sin and death. You know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. But unlike Rick Hoyt, being handicapped is not what keeps us from victory. We weren't just handicapped by sin. Ephesians 2.1 says we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to get us across the finish line of this life. Ephesians 2.4 and 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, 
we can share in his glory. Jesus' victory over sin through the cross, it's ours. Jesus' victory over death when he rose from the dead on that first Easter morning is ours. We're no longer dead in our sins. We've been raised with Christ to this new spiritual life. Don't these truths make you want to celebrate right now? These truths are the reason we will one day join Jesus at the grand victory party envisioned in Psalm 22. Well, since we've been kind of thinking about Psalm 22 as Jesus' greatest race, followed by his victory party, don't you think we need a party banner? Imagine the end of verse 31 printed on a huge banner. He has done it. John 19.30 tells us that Jesus echoed these words on the cross right before he died. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the Greek, it is finished is only one word. Tetelestai is actually an accounting term that means paid in full. By his shed blood on the cross, Jesus paid in full the debt of sin that was ours. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 describes this incredible truth this way. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Hillside, as we live out our mission to be light in the world, how can we reflect the sacrificial, joy-driven heart of Jesus in Psalm 22? How will we reach those at the ends of the earth and invite them to turn to the Lord? How can we tell future generations like baby Cana about Jesus and leave a legacy of worship for our reigning king to a people not even born yet? How do we help one another run the race of faith well? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 gives us some guidance and some encouragement. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. We heard those words this morning, the author of our salvation. Brothers and sisters, Dear ones, let's run this marathon of faith together, our eyes focused on Jesus and our hearts full of thanks because Jesus endured the cross for the joy of saving us. Let's run this race of faith so that we can say the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Psalm 22 gives us a powerful way to reflect on Jesus' suffering and death on the cross, and it reminds us to give thanks for our precious salvation during this Lenten season. But don't forget, Psalm 22 also gives us a picture of Jesus' grand victory party. It's a picture that we can treasure until that glorious day when we will praise King Jesus together with all the saints, saying, he has done it. Amen.
Have a great afternoon, Hillside. Hillside. Hillside, if any of you need prayer or you would like to um, talk to somebody about what it means to be part of the great victory party, our prayer team will be up front. I think there might be a few in the back as well. But receive this benediction as we go out and run that race together. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>